Welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful, purpose-driven human beings, companies, and organizations. I'm your host, Aaron Quitkin. So when you think of salmon, you probably think Scotland, Norway, maybe even British Columbia. But my guest today, Johan Andreasen, has brought an innovative approach to salmon farming to, wait for it, Homestead, Florida. That's right. I said Florida. Salmon from Florida. Just 30 miles south of Miami. The thinking is this. By eliminating the need to fly the popular fish from far-flung locations, the carbon footprint of its development can be cut considerably. And it's not the first foray into organic salmon farming, which began in his native Norway. By implementing processes like eliminating the use of pharmaceuticals or chemicals to fight sea lice to recirculating aquaculture systems, Johan has long been at the forefront of delivering ocean-safe seafood. Johan, welcome to Brand on Purpose. Pleasure to be here, Aaron. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. And you're joining me from Miami. And I have to be honest, if I was looking at a menu and I saw salmon from Miami, although it might not say that, I might think twice. Please explain. Take us back to the founder's story. Yeah. I mean, we started the Blue House concept here in Miami. And basically, our idea was back 10 years ago to start an onshore salmon production facility uh, somewhere in the United States. And I don't know how many people knows it, but about 99% of the U.S. consumption of fresh salmon is imported from other countries, primarily from overseas in Europe, as you said, Norway, Scotland, or in Chile in South America, right? And back in the days, I was used to be a salmon farmer in Norway back in the days before I started Atlantic Sapphire, and it never felt right to fly salmon with airplanes. No one is flying beef, chicken, and pork. And I think the United States needs to produce its own consumption of salmon. When me and my partner started to look into this in 2010, we actually did visit 12 different states looking for what we thought would be the best location and the best conditions to do this at scale. And to your point, Florida was not on our map at all in the beginning. We started up in the Northeast in Maine, Massachusetts, and we went down the entire Eastern coast. But we didn't like what we saw. It was always some disadvantages with these locations. And eventually, we ended up in the southernmost county in the continental United States, in Miami-Dade. And the main reason why we are here is because of the history of the peninsula. It has formed multiple independent layers of groundwater, so-called aquifers, that we can use to our advantage. In a Blue House production, you use both freshwater, uh, in, but in very small amounts. And you use a tremendous amount of salt water as the salmon migrates naturally from a river to the ocean. We we replicate that life. So about 95% of the salmon, the water we consume is salt water. And once we're done using the water, which we are recirculating through our very large tanks, we have to uh, dispose in a sustainable way of our nutrient-rich wastewater. And here in Florida, you have three different layers of aquifers. The most shallow is the Biscayne Aquifer, which is also used for drinking water and irrigation locally. You have the Florida Aquifer, which is one of the largest aquifers in the world. It's underneath our feet in the entire state of Florida, and it stretches up to the Carolinas. But in the southern tip of the Florida Peninsula, that aquifer happens to be saline. It's salt water. And that water has no commercial value to anyone else than us. And as you dig even deeper, down to 3,000 feet below the surface, you find another geological formation called the boulder zone. The boulder zone is widely used for a wastewater disposal 
from the municipalities as a more sustainable alternative to ocean outfalls, pipes in, into the coast. So we have created this concept where we combine all these aquifers to our advantage, and we can therefore operate a salmon farm with controlled um, conditions without having any impact on the coastal areas. So that is the main reason why we are here. So someone who has no background in any of this, other than the fact that salmon is one of my favorite fish to consume, I'm a little boring like that, as my wife likes to tell me. You are basically tapping into all these different aquifers, but for different reasons. One, potentially for salinity. Another, maybe potentially to dispose that and or recycle that nutrient-rich water that you're using in the process. Did I get that right? That is correct. So even though we are a RAS, so-called Recirculation Aquaculture Systems Facility, where we are recirculating 99% of our water, we still need to have access to some what we call makeup water, some new water that we have to pump into our facilities to control water quality, right? And that is what we're doing. So these are quite literally pipes going into the ground, some as deep as 3,000 feet. That is correct. That's so cool. At first, it must have been pretty capital intense to create the Blue House and create these systems. Describe what that process is like to get funding and... Obviously, you're probably a little concerned because there was always the chance that while it might have worked functionally, maybe commercially it didn't work. Maybe you couldn't get this off the ground. Yeah. So what is new? I mean, we are using it. The RAS technology has been used before, but in a much smaller scale and for other species. So what we are doing here is that we are making a concept where we are scaling everything up to a scale that has never been seen before. Our farm building, the Blue House that we have in Miami currently, is about nine acres in size. It's insulated, it's ventilated, it has, we are controlling all the factors, including the temperature of the water, the particles in the water, the CO2 and the oxygen, everything. It's a very large facility. It's very complex because you need to manage a lot of different sectors. So we have specialists from all over the world and we are also bringing in people from multiple different industries to together be able to deliver this operationally. So, and to your point, it's very capital intensive. You know, first of all, the salmon takes about 20 months to grow out from an egg to harvest. But prior to that, you need to get all the permits sorted. You need to design the facility. You need to build the facility. So it takes multiple years with zero revenue to actually make this happen. So our company is 10 years old now, and we're still uh, not at break even. We're going to hit break even uh, later this year, but it, this is definitely a marathon. It takes a lot. And is Florida the most ideal place with the level, with these three levels of aquifers to do this? Or do you envision that once you kind of solidify your position there, you might be able to scale this and bring this to other locations around the country? Or you just feel like focus on Florida because that's where you're going to get the greatest amount of volume over time? Yeah, I, I have a saying that we're going to make it as natural to get salmon from Florida as it is to get uh, Maine lobster and Idaho potatoes. <laughs> so yes, to answer your question, we, we think we, we will be scaling up from this location. And even though if you will have a little bit more transportation cost to transport the fish from South Florida to California, that cost and the carbon footprints of doing that is less than what we think it would be to build farms in other locations and uh, for the reason that you just mentioned the aquifers you know uh, the fact that we can scale this up to a very large scale with scale comes also lower risk we're going to be able to do more what we call vertical integrations we will 
partner up with other companies that do different things. For example, uh, feed production, value-added production, byproducts. We are envisioning that all the byproducts, all the trimmings and heads and bones that comes out of our production is going to be turned into high-quality human-grade ingredients, for example, right? And that you can only do with scale. And we don't really see any environmental concerns. Typically, when you have any kind of food production, you will have some kind of runoffs from your fields into rivers and creeks or into the ocean. And that's not happening here, right? All our waste goes down to a concealed aquifer 3,000 feet below surface where Mother Nature actually takes care of it herself. Because in that area, you have a very slow-moving current of water that pressures this nutrient-rich water through limestone rock, and eventually it will end up in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean as purified water. And that is very unique. Nature's filtration system. Yeah. So the plan is to be carbon neutral. How do you get to carbon neutral and how long does that take? That is our ambition. As a matter of fact, one of the big contributors to carbon emissions in salmon farming, as for any other food production, is the feed. So the feed is a big topic, and we are committed to utilize new raw materials as as they become available. Insect meals, for example, or algae-based fermented sources of feed uh, that significantly will reduce the CO2 uh, emissions in the whole value chain. Other than that is that we also see opportunities to cover all our roofs with solar panels. We look into other renewables for our energy consumption and so forth. So we have that mission and that commitment. And uh, it will take some years, but we will keep working on this every year and we are actually in our environmental social and governance report we are talking more towards the goals per year in order to become carbon neutral now you started off if i'm correct me if i'm wrong here as a commercial fisherman yeah that is true in norway in norway so you are one of these like hardened tough gritty guys right who probably has no problem facing even the toughest of conditions at what point did this light bulb go off and you're like, we can do better? And I know that you've had other ventures as well. You were part of a team that founded the first Norwegian organic salmon farming company. So it sounds like you're an entrepreneur at heart. When did that light go off at all? So do you come from a family of fishermen or is that something new for you or the family? Yeah. So as you said, I'm, I used to be a fisherman and basically my granddad, he was a commercial fisherman. I was fishing a cod in the northern part of Norway, and uh, my dad is a dairy farmer. And when I was a kid, uh, I more or less grew up with my granddad. So he taught me about fishing. And for the Norwegians, uh, living from what the ocean could provide was crucial for survival, right? So I very early on learned how uh, to respect nature. And uh, if you treat nature well, it will provide you values. So... Our first fishing venture was with my cousin, actually, when we were teenagers. We were starting to fish a very particular fish called cleaner fish. It's a type of wrasse that has the ability to eat parasites off of the skin of other fish. And we were the first ones to do that in Norway. And our customers were the salmon farming industry in Norway that at that time, and they still have, very large issues with sea lice, with the parasites on the skin of the fish. And then we that spinned off into a opportunity to go into salmon farming ourselves. And we brought with us the environmental focus from our cleaner fish activities into the salmon farming practice. And we worked together with the Norwegian government to develop an organic standard for salmon farming. And we started to export that fish to Europe and to the United States. And I started to work here in the States 
back in 2006, where we partnered up with uh, Whole Foods Markets and other retailers in the country. And we started to see how complicated it was. And it didn't feel right, honestly, to farm fish in a remote area, in a different continent, having to supply it fresh into 50 different states in the US. It's very costly. You create a lot of carbon emissions due to the air freight. And by the time the fish gets into the store, it's actually almost a week old. So the freshness of the fish was not even where we wanted it to be. And knowing that the US is importing most of its seafood, I was thinking, okay, this has to be done better. This is not the future. So that's why the idea came up to uh, trying to innovate a concept where we could eliminate the need of having access to cold fjords and protected bays in very remote areas of the planet and locate the production where the consumer is. And that's the Blue House concept. Just out of curiosity, how does the industry define fresh fish? I mean, you kind of touched on it, right? If it's a week old to me, it's not fresh, but I know that most fish I'm probably eating has been frozen before it got to me. So how do you define fresh fish? And it sounds like you're setting out to redefine it or to bring the true definition to the market. So basically what the standards are there is based on the bacteria count in the flesh. So you have a regulatory maximum level of certain bacteria to ensure food safety. And for fresh salmon, that window is about two weeks from you harvest the fish until you have to eat it. And, you know, as I said, you know, the imported fish is likely a week old by the time it hits the shelves in the retailer. That doesn't mean that it's dangerous to eat it. It's just that it's not as good as it would be if it was one or two days old. Here in Miami, for example, now we can harvest on a Monday and we can be in the supermarkets in state the next day, which is ultra fresh. It has never been seen before. And if we were to truck it to California, we could be in the stores after three days. So it's much fresher. Uh, so the experience for the consumer is going to be very different, much better. And for the retailers, you will also get less shrink, less fish that they have to throw in the garbage can because it's too old, right? Yeah. And how much salmon are you currently producing in your facility? Our facility, the, what we call Blue House One, has a production capacity of about 22 million pounds a year, which is approximately, I believe, 35 million dinners or servings. But our plan is to, over the next decade, to scale that up to about 20x our current capacity. So it's a very large build-out. It's going to transform the entire homestead area. It's creating thousands of jobs, direct jobs, but also for other businesses locally that we would buy products and services from. So it's a pretty large expansion. And what brand, so if I'm, I don't know if you're partnering with Whole Foods, but let's just say I'm, I'm at Whole Foods. If I wanted to buy your salmon, does it go under Atlantic Sapphire or is it a different brand or is it white labeled or is it all of the above? The answer is that this is branded in stores and in restaurants as Blue House Salmon. We think this is a very good way of letting the consumer know what this actually is because it doesn't deserve to be mixed with wild fish for starters. It doesn't deserve to be mixed with conventionally farmed fish. It's a very different concept. A lot of the reasons why certain consumers won't eat farmed fish are things that we are solving with our Blue House concept. We don't have any negative impact on wild species, for example. We don't have parasites. We don't need to use antibiotics to treat for diseases and so forth. We think actually Blue House salmon deserves to be its own category on the shelves. And that is also what our retail partners are selling it as. So I think we're currently in about 2,000 stores countrywide all over the country, as well as in Canada. 
and we have a clear path for expansion as we increase our harvest. And are there other companies doing the same thing in the United States or similar thing or trying to? There are a couple of other smaller projects also raising salmon on land. They're very different from us for various reasons because typically they would be using just fresh water throughout the cycle. So it's slightly different taste than the fish. It's not a marine fish, it's more like a lake fish and the scale is much less. So yeah, I would say that more than 95% of the onshore blue house salmon farming in this country is from Atlantic Sapphire. And what do the economics of this look like for the consumer? Because I know my own kind of experience is the things that are better for you and better for the planet tend to sometimes have a premium on them. And I, for one, am more than willing to pay that premium. But I'm also lucky because I can pay that premium. But I believe in it. Probably at first, the economics, there probably is a premium to this. And then over time, my guess is in the same way that in the organic food movement and other areas, more people and the industry practices that get adopted and that improve, the more people that consume this, the economics should start to tilt more towards the favor of the consumer. Am I right in assuming all of that? Yes, you are right. I believe our Blue House salmon is selling at 30 to 40% premium to conventional farm salmon at this time. And I think the main reason for that is that we have much higher upfront cost here and we are putting more efforts into making a premium, a superior product. It's worth it. And I think as we scale up over time, we are positioned to become also a cost leader. But for that, we need more scale. So you're absolutely right. I think in the beginning here, like the first few years, we will be selling at a premium, but we're aiming to make this product available for the entire population here in some shapes or forms. So yeah, and you can compare it to the produce industry and other industries that has the same uh, situation. And have you gotten any resistance or kind of negative feedback from your former commercial fishermen that you used to uh, work with where they feel like either this is unfair or what type of impact you'll have in that industry, or you just feel like there's enough for everybody and the more salmon, the better, whether it's raised on land or raised in the oceans. It's a little bit of both, right? Here in the United States, you basically don't have any competition. It's the amount of harvested fish is so low, right? But from my maiden country, from Norway, for example, and from Chile, you have a lot of these big salmon companies that are increasingly watching us. And some of them are concerned what this might lead to as they are using a more conventional method. That being said, you know, the demand for salmon is very, very high. It's growing every year. And the conventional methods and the industry are not able to grow with the demand increase because of multiple uh, regulations and biological issues. So I think the consensus is that there is enough space for everyone. It's actually a lot of research out there that says that the planet needs another million tons of salmon the next decade, which is up from today's about 2 million tons of harvest. So it's a very large growth opportunity that our ambition is to produce 200,000 tons 10 years from now. So it's another 800,000 tons of growth worldwide that needs to happen in order to fill the demand. So I think it's enough room for everyone. I do though think that the future is what we are doing to take control and produce the proteins that people eat closer to the consumer with reducing the impact of the nature as much as you can, and at the same time providing fresher product with lower risk of uh, contamination and uh, yeah, a better experience for everyone. 
Yeah. Plus, um, at least I know when I buy your salmon that I'm buying salmon. You probably saw this or heard this, and I don't have it in front of me, but there was some crazy report that came out where such a large percentage of the seafood that's marked as one type of fish is actually a different type of fish. So you're also kind of solving for that, even though it's nothing that I think any of our listeners want to think about, but that is a truth, right? That is true. We have a very traceable uh, value chain and a very lean value chain. I think we have the leanest value chain of, of them all. I mean, in the Blue House, we start with an egg and out on the other side of the building, you have consumer packed fillets that go straight into the restaurants or into the grocery stores. So it's very traceable. It's very lean. And uh, I think that should bring comfort to the consumer. Yeah. Now, are you just out of curiosity, do you still eat salmon? Are you pescatarian? Are you sick of it? I just always wonder sometimes when folks, you know, they are raised in or they focus on, especially in the food industry, whether or not they're sick of it or they just can't get enough of it. I personally eat salmon at least two to three times a week. I think it's fantastic. I get where you're coming from. If you're a chicken farmer and you're in a chicken barn all the time, you might not like to eat chicken every day. I think myself and uh, most of our employees in the company are all eating salmon uh, on a weekly basis. It's very healthy for you. You know, it's a lot of research to say that if you eat salmon two to three days a week, getting all the nutrients and omega-3s from it, the likelihood of you having a heart disease is almost falling to zero. And and plus, we can see each other in this virtual studio, but I don't know how how old you are, but you look like you're 24. So the salmon's doing something, right? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) It's the Norwegian genes, I think. I think that must have something to do with it as well. So what have you learned? Like, what do you think your biggest setback has been where it was like a, I call it these oh shit moments where you have to go into kind of crisis mode or control mode. And how did you deal with it? Because you're not a startup anymore, but you're in high growth and you are a disruptor and you're an entrepreneur. And has there anything that's happened that you think others can learn from and how you dealt with that to get back on your feet or to address whatever event occurred that you needed to overcome in order to, to carry on with the business? I think for any businesses, and uh, if you're trying to do something new, as an entrepreneur, you tend to underestimate what it takes to get there, basically, you know, and even though if I've, I've been an entrepreneur my entire life, and I know a lot of the pulpits and the dynamics and what can happen when you build a company, I still see that it takes a longer time and it's more complicated than what we thought initially. For my industry, for what we are doing, we are effectively taking control of nature. We are creating a microenvironment that we believe is, if it works the way it should, it should be ideal for the animals that we're raising. But it's very complicated. It's, it's so many things that needs to work at the same time, and it needs to work 24-7. The fish that we are keeping in our facilities are completely dependent on us to thrive and live. Without comparing it in any other way, I like to compare our facilities to one of the largest cruise ships that you, you passenger cruise ships out there, which is effectively floating cities. If you have 10,000 people on board of a cruise ship in the middle of the ocean, you have to manage everything. If you can't manage everything, what's going on inside the engine room, the mechanical rooms of a cruise ship is fantastic. And it's so much technology, big, large scale engines, pumps, filters, sensors, everything needs to work at all times for the cruise passenger to have a good experience. The same thing goes for our salmon. If we fail to operate and provide for the salmon, the salmon suffers. And that is very complicated. And uh, that's also why we are looking to other industries to find more comparables, such as the cruise line industry, such as the oil and gas industry. Even power plants 
where things cannot fail. It cannot fail in a blue house. So that has been a very large lesson learned uh, that we have to operate every second of the year consistently to become successful. And have you had the experience yet where you went out to eat and on the menu it says blue house salmon? Oh yeah, I have. That had to have felt incredible. Yeah, it was a very proud moment. We had a ceremony internally. It was COVID, but when we launched our first uh, Blue House Salmon, uh, the first All-American Salmon back in September of last year, we asked everyone to take pictures of themselves uh, in front of the counter and uh, in the stores and be proud of it because we really did something new. We are changing the world. And I think uh, our employees and everyone that works in the company are very engaged and very proud of being part of something that is truly sustainable and new. Yeah, no, I love it. Now, I have one more question. So many of us start companies in various industries because, like you said, we want to change something. We see a gap. There's an opportunity to be disruptive, to be better, to do better. And we all have a native expertise for you as commercial fishing and how do you expand on that. But there's so many things as entrepreneurs and as business leaders that we don't know. Like you said as well, it's far more complicated than just an idea. Who or what was your most important first or early hire in an area of the business that you knew nothing about, but was critical to your success? Yeah, in the terms of Atlantic Sapphire, I think, as you said, I'm a fisherman, but I'm an entrepreneur, but I'm not a local geologist in Florida. So one of our first key hires was to hire local people here that knows exactly how the regulatory space works and how the natural given conditions that we have works so we could actually navigate that and get our permits together get our designs together so we could move on right so that is one and uh, it's extremely important to have control of your numbers the legal piece of it is uh, very important and what i've also experienced uh, in 25 years in business is you need the right partners you need the right co-investors you need the right banks that are willing to be there during a thunderstorm Yeah. And they need to share both your patience and wisdom, but also understand the vision. And there's a mutuality there, right? That needs to happen. And if it's ever in balance, things can go wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Listen, Johan, this is fascinating. I knew it was going to be interesting, but I have to say, I think you've probably forever changed my salmon eating behavior and habits. And now I'm going to look for blue house salmon everywhere I go. I travel a lot, or at least I used to, but I'm starting to travel again now. Things are starting to slowly get back to normal. And I really appreciate your time coming on the show. And I can't wait to continue to track the company and have you back to see your continued success. So thank you again for joining Brand on Purpose. And I wish you all the best. It was a pleasure talking to you today. This has been an episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quipkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of companies, organizations, and people who make it their mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing production team, including Lindsay Hand, Dara Cawthron, Julie Strickland, and Nina Valdez. Learn more about our show and sponsorship opportunities at brandonpurpose.com. Learn more about our host at aaronquicken.com.